everyone in the venue today as well. My name is Adrian, and I do not have the coronavirus. Phew. Kind, sympathetic laughs you gave me. Thanks. Um, just quick update there. Uh, you'll notice that we've changed some of our procedures related to uh, our greeting ministry. And um, I know this is something that lots of people are thinking about and media talks about nonstop, um, which I will not comment on right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, everyone's thinking about this. Lots of people are talking about it, uh, the coronavirus. Um, we have changed uh, some of the procedures for our greeting ministries. And we're not going to do a meet and greet for a little while in here as we wait things to subside. Um, but we are going to continue to move forward as a church without fear. Amen. Amen. We're going to move forward with, without fear, without panic, make proper preparations, and continue to talk about that as a church leadership team. But uh, we've made some modifications already, both upstairs and also downstairs. We want you to know that both in the venue and here in the auditorium. But, you know, God calls us to live without fear. And um, there's a million things we can be fearful, for, fearful about every day. And I'm just convicted that living in fear is one of the absolute worst things, though, that we can do as a Christian. We need to live in faith. We need to live in trust. We need to move forward. Ours is a risk-taking God. And even if the worst thing was to happen here and coronavirus well, was to come into Kearney, well, what an awesome opportunity for the church to step up. And we'll look for those opportunities as well. So uh, that's all of my comments on that for this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are a good and gracious God. We praise you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you have numbered all of our days and we can trust in you completely. You tell us to wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. And so we choose to do that. We do take seriously well, what's happening in our country and in our world and we ask for those who are ill. Ask God, though, that you would protect them, that you would strengthen them, that you would recover their bodies. We pray for protection for people all across our world, Lord, not only from the coronavirus, but from the flu and many things, though, that we all have to deal with on a regular basis. God, would you give us the wisdom to accept that when we're ill, perhaps we cannot be at church, and that's okay. We'll take that precaution as well. But otherwise, Lord, would you help us to move forward with, with faith? and without fear, and deep trust in the living God, and uh, commitment to love one another deeply. And uh, I just thank you, Lord, for this church, this wonderful church body, both here in the auditorium and in the venue. We ask, God, that you would lead us forward in the days and weeks to come, and that you would gear our minds now for this beautiful idea of understanding prayer a little bit better, entering into dangerous prayers, powerful prayers, that can make a difference in our lives and in others' lives as well. We give ourselves to you, Lord. Remove our anxieties, whatever they might be. Move them to the recesses of our brains such that we could focus our minds and our energies on you now this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. That is one additional note that I probably didn't note, which I should, and, and that's just, you know, if you are ill, please feel free to stay home, okay, just like you would with the flu or any other 
uh, issue though, that we're facing. Um, we do have online church for those who are ill. That's always available. It's streamed live at 11 o'clock. Um, but otherwise, well, we're just going to move forward until we feel like we're led otherwise. Sound good? Let's get into it. You know, if you type in the word prayer on Amazon.com, you will quickly get 90,000 hits. When Jesus was asked about prayer, he gave 54 words. It strikes me that prayer has become very, very complex to people. We read about prayer, we talk about prayer much more than we pray. The Lord's Prayer, as it's called in Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6, is Jesus' answer to his disciples' question, how do we pray? How do we do it? Like, Jesus, we've been around you long enough now to see your incredible healings. We've been around you long enough now to see you are the most amazing teacher who has ever lived. We've been around you long enough now to see the way that you stand down the oppressors and you lift up the oppressed. You stand down Pharisees and you help those who are poor and needy. We see what kind of man, what kind of amazing teacher you are. Perhaps you're a prophet. They weren't really sure yet all that he was at this point in his ministry but they come to him at one point in Luke chapter 6 and they beg him we see all of that that you have done but Lord would you please do this would you please teach us how to pray we don't know how and Jesus answers with these words this then is how you should pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's his version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. The other one, of course, is Luke chapter 11. What a response. The simplicity and the clarity of Jesus' response to this huge question, how do I pray? I imagine the disciples smiling in response to the simplicity and the clarity of Jesus' statement here. You pray, our Father, holy is your name. May your name be hallowed in my life as it's always hallowed. They said amen to that, yeah. May that be, they say. May your name be seen for what it is, just and holy and loving and powerful. May your name be hallowed in my life. And they pray, may your kingdom come here on earth as it's always done in heaven. In the little villages of Galilee, in the city of Kearney, in the town of Gibbon or Amherst or Riverdale or Shelton or wherever you come from, may your will be done in our community. May heaven come down. That's what he's praying. Heaven come down into Kearney. That your will would be done in Kearney the way it's done in heaven. 
That's a dangerous prayer. That's a beautiful prayer. That's a powerful prayer. They would say amen to that. And, and then they go on. Give us this day our daily bread that we wouldn't get too much so we wouldn't be greedy but just have enough for today. I love that update that we just got on our Compassion Connection, Compassion Ministries, Compassion International Mom Ministries down in Columbia and the church plant and child development center that's just been completed there. We are reminded that some people need to pray this prayer every day. Give us this day our daily bread. They would have said amen to that as well as he's going through. And lead us not into temptation, God. Yeah, please prevent me from walking into any temptation. Here's so many different areas that I can walk into temptation. Prevent that in my life, God. Deliver me far from the evil one, God. Deliver me far from Satan. I know he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for one to devour. To devour. Deliver me far from him, they would have prayed. Yeah, all of those. I'm sure they would say, wow, what a wonderful, simple, clear prayer for us to pray. Maybe they smiled at every one of those petitions. But I can't help but wondering if perhaps they choked on that one other petition. Jesus' model prayer is like this toolbox for prayer. You can pray the entire Lord's Prayer, as I know many of us do every day, or you can pray the individual petitions one at a time at length over your family, over your world, over our church. Encourage you to do that as well. It's this beautiful toolbox for prayer but it's a dangerous prayer but because it's fundamentally about saying God it's not about my will it's about your will not my will be done but your will be done in my life it's a powerful prayer but because we're saying to God I don't want me I don't want my will I want your will to be done you do something great even in me I love the way the great missionary to India E. Stanley Jones puts it he says prayer is cooperation with God in prayer you align your desires your will and your life to God you and God become agreed on life desires life purposes life plans and you choose to work them out together according to his will prayer then is not trying to get God to do our will it is the getting of our will into line with God's will hmm that's what prayer is. Most fundamentally, it's getting our will into line with God's will. And each and every one of these prayers though, that you find, each and every one of these petitions that you find within the Lord's Prayer is getting our will in line with His will. Again, the most dangerous, the most challenging, the most powerful, the most difficult of these prayers, I'm sure back then, as I'm sure today is I forgive you not you but I forgive you whoever you is in your mind because Father I'm asking that you would forgive me and therefore I would also forgive others why do we struggle so much to forgive? It strikes me that there are probably many different reasons, but also just three. One reason we struggle so much to forgive is because grudges can become kind of a possession of sorts. That we hold on to this idea that I was wronged. 
And dang it, I, at least I have that. I, mean, I may not have many things, but I know that all these things that happened to me, I can say I was wronged. And I'm in the right about that. And taken to the extreme, what that leads to is I choose to be right about being wronged more than I choose relationships. And many people you know and I know choose my rights over relationships. And they refuse to ever bury the hatchet. That's one reason. It becomes something that we possess and then possesses us. Another reason that I think it's really, really difficult for us to, to forgive in our culture today is unfortunately we in the West have lost our language for sin, haven't we? We actually don't even use the word sin. It's amazing, I'll talk to Christians, that they won't even say the word sin. They'll say wrong or mistake. Um, we've lost the language for sin in our culture. And let me connect this in terms of the consequence. When you lose the language for sin, then you have nothing specific to forgive. Without specific apologies for specific sins, there will be no specific language to offer forgiveness. And so as a result, people move around through life well, with this sense of rot in their soul, that they know something went wrong, somebody did something terrible to me, but it's like they say things like, I'm sorry if it hurts you, or I'm sorry you're such a wimp. And, and, and we, we've lost this language for sin, unfortunately, and we're not able to give specific naming of what happened and then specific forgiving for what happened. But, but here's the deal. Buried trespasses can never be healed. As long as trespasses remain buried and unspoken, they can never be healed. Third, I think most viscerally, we all choke on this prayer in the Lord's Prayer because we have been deeply hurt I, I mean people in this room are dealing with big stuff I know that people in this room have been hurt by the scourge of infidelity people in this room have been hurt by a bully that kept on hitting them and kept on hitting them and kept on hitting them emotionally or physically and it left a scar people in this room have been hurt by a, a parent who constantly nagged and never encouraged a dad who insulted, a mom who neglected, friends who have abandoned, abuse by someone who was trusted, unjust termination from work, a church that has failed us, people have been hurt. And it's hard to move on. You put all of that together, and the simple truth is, many of us walk with a limp through life. Most of us, we can't get through life without being badly hurting, so we walk with a limp through life. I do too. And if we're not careful, that limp becomes infected by things called bitterness and rage and unforgiveness and resentment. And um, we can be really, really hurt and never be the same. Friends, I so desperately want you to know this morning I've been praying for you all week. I so desperately want you to know this morning that God doesn't want you to live that way. God wants something so much better than that for us. 
He wants us to experience his healing and then to begin to move on from the very real hurts that all of us have. Now, just, just think with me. What are the consequences of unforgiveness? The most obvious one, of course, is bitterness. And this is on your outline. The, the greatest consequence, maybe, or the most obvious one for us is bitterness. The ongoing consequence of unforgiveness is this. You are drinking the poison, and you're expecting that other guy to get hurt. That's what unforgiveness does. It, it results in bitterness that you drink the poison because you want this other person to get hurt, but in truth, the other person really isn't affected, and you are drinking poison of bitterness. It deeply affects you. It robs you. It robs me when I fall into bitterness or grudge holding. It robs us of happiness and the most basic form of Christian joy. That's the first reason. Now, the second, or the first consequence, the second consequence is this. The second consequence of unforgiveness is unforgiveness. I want you to consider the gravity of Jesus' statement in this line. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our trespasses as we, yeah, as we forgive others. Okay? That's what Jesus says. He says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. And if that wasn't big enough as it is, he then doubles down and he makes a specific comment on one particular petition within the Lord's Prayer. And can you guess which one it is? It's this one. This is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that he doubles down in order to reiterate his point. He makes an additional comment on it. And the additional comment that you see up on the screen is this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now this is so intense, this is so difficult, that frankly I have to sit down for it. Um... I mean, the intensity of what Jesus says here as he doubles down is kind of shocking. It's a scandalous message that you will be forgiven if you forgive, he seems to be saying. Now, I believe in salvation by grace through faith, free of charge. God's forgiveness is given to you free of any charge, free of anything that you can do, no merit to us, nothing we can do to earn God's approval. So why is it that Jesus doubles down in this way? i got to sit down for this. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, to say this. I don't know when I wrote it, but sometime a number of years ago, I wrote in the margin of my Bible what he is saying here, and it basically goes like this. Forgive equals forgiveness. And then, next line, forgive not equals not forgiveness. Not forgiven. Is that how you read it? Pretty cool digital Bible, isn't it? I'm gonna make a run for you version here with this one. 
This is our new Carney free invention. I got a little USB hookup on this. You just can't see it. That's how I read it. Now, I recognize that there will be some that would disagree with that basic interpretation, but as best I can tell, as I've read on this extensively, that's the correct reading of this passage. Why is it that Jesus focuses so intently, so intensely even here, to say this? I, th I think it's this. I think it's that if you have someone that has done something wrong to you, and you want them to suffer more than Jesus has already suffered on the cross, you are saying the cross is not enough. That Jesus' suffering wasn't enough, that there needs to be additional suffering on top of Jesus' suffering, and the cross is not enough. There has to be more. That that's the implication by saying, I cannot forgive this from this person who has wronged me in this way. I think it's also possible that he's saying this because we have this idea that something is so grievous that it, it really cannot be forgiven. And we forget the fact that God has actually forgiven us far more than we will ever forgive anyone. Do you believe that? That's the truth. God has forgiven you and me far more than we will ever be responsible to forgive another person. Now, it's possible I could be wrong by that, that, that interpretation. That, that's possible. But I think that's a face value reading of the Lord's Prayer and Jesus' comment on the Lord's Prayer. That's also a face value reading of Matthew 18, if you'd like to read that at length later on. Um, and uh, I, I think I'm probably right about that. I could be right. I think I'm probably right. I just want to ask you this question. Are you willing to wager your eternal life on the possibility that I'm wrong about that interpretation? Are you willing to do that? I would not wager eternal life on the possibility that Jesus is not giving a straight-up statement here. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Do not forgive, and you will not be forgiven. Simply said, if we do not offer other people forgiveness, if we do not seek to grow in forgiveness with other people, we do not understand the gravity of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And that is when you'd be wise to question where I actually am with God if I don't understand the gravity of what Jesus has done on the cross for me. Make sense? I say this is your friend because I love you. Okay, two reasons that you want to forgive. Number one, to eliminate bitterness. <laughs> Jesus wants your freedom. He wants your freedom. He wants your freedom. Thank you, Jesus. And number two, because he commands that we would let go of others by forgiving them, understanding just how much God has forgiven us. Now, the simple truth is we all have really big trespasses that need to be forgiven, and we also have smaller trespasses that need to be forgiven, and we all deal with both of them through life. 
Uh, big trespasses, here's a principle, big trespasses alter your life immediately, and so, the, so they will require a decision at certain point in time to specifically, even physically, forgive someone. These are the big trespasses that alter our lives immediately. Big trespasses, though, that we go through are kind of like a knife wound. They immediately alter our lives. Now, all sins are equally heinous before God. I'm not giving a ranking of sins. Christians have done that. That's unwise to do. They're all equally violent before God. But there are some sins that we experience that are worse than others. Am I right? There are some sins, though, that we go through that have greater consequences though, than others. And when you go through a really big one, there will come a moment in time when you specifically have to move on to bury the hatchet, to in time actually forgive. Now smaller trespasses, by contrast, they alter our lives slowly. And so they require something different. They require a lifestyle of forgiveness. Not just an in time, moment by moment decision, big decision to forgive, but a lifestyle of forgiveness. If big trespasses are kind of like a knife wound, smaller trespasses are more like death by a thousand paper cuts. And many of us experience those as well. Sometimes they require this ongoing commitment. In fact, I would say just a way of life for Christians. This is an ongoing commitment for us to live as reconciling kind of people. That we connect with those who have hurt us. We connect with those who we have misunderstood or who have misunderstood us. And we quickly apologize and we quickly forgive. A lifestyle of ongoing forgiveness. I love the way Romans 12 puts this. The Apostle Paul, as he makes the change in the most theological book in the entire Bible, chapter 12 goes into application. And at the end of chapter 12, the most application-oriented chapter in the most theological book of the entire Bible, he says this as much as possible so long as it depends on you live at peace with all people as much as it's heavenly possible like if you're only 10% in the wrong go do this make peace with whoever you're at the wrong with if someone else has something against you someone else hurt you bring that up to them so that you can seek reconciliation with this person it's okay to bring it up if someone has hurt you you can say that you can say that. This is a wise way to deal with conflict. Now I want you to know as I'm talking about this and I get passionate about it because I see people locked in it. I see people even in this church that are in a straitjacket of unforgiveness. I want you to know as I, as I talk about this, like this isn't ivory tower stuff for me. This isn't, okay, Adrian has Bible, will babble. It's not that. I've had to deal with this stuff too, just like you have. I've had big trespasses and I've had little trespasses. Lots, lots of them that I've had to forgive. And lots of them that I had to apologize for. In the company of a few of my closest friends, can I share a couple? You'll keep it in confidence, right? <laughs> okay, I better get moving. Um, little trespasses. Recently, over the past couple of years, someone from previous season of life decided to make what I would say uh, some unfair statements about me as a leader and a pastor. And it was hurtful. Um, I decided the second time it happened that I was not going to defend myself. 
Jesus says we need not defend ourselves. At times you just leave defense to God. And I said, I'm not, not going to defend myself. Um, I trust this to the Lord. Um, my wife decided to defend me, which made me feel about nine feet tall. <laughs> but I said, I'm not going to defend. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I know she was not trying to hurt me. She wasn't trying to be malicious. She wasn't trying to be unjust, unjust, but she misrepresented me, and I didn't think she really listened to my explanation about something that I, I, did not, I really did nothing wrong <laughs> in this situation. But I thought it was unfair the way she dealt with it, and I had to decide, am I going to continue to deal with this, or am I going to trust that she did not mean to be malicious to me in this situation? And I know she didn't mean to be malicious, she just simply didn't look at the full facts and she shared it with someone else and that person did the same. And I had to remind myself as I was feeling these paper cuts and they were starting to sting that people will let you down and that's okay. Those are the words of psychologist Larry Crabb at Colorado Christian University, theologian psychologist Larry Crabb. People will let you down and that's okay. You just expect it. People are going to let you down, and that's okay. And she's an ordinary person with her own ordinary problems, and she has areas of suffering, and there might be different personalities that are at play, and we each have our different idiosyncrasies that we deal with, and we have our ways of communicating, and we just choose. This is what we need as Christians do. We need to choose to think the best of one another and realize that sometimes though there will be mistakes, there will be differences of opinion, and there will even be conflict, but especially in marriage and in family and in church and in life groups, over the course of time, Time, we will offend each other, won't we? It's going to happen. Your pastor will offend you at some point. It's going to happen. But you choose to think the best of that person and maintain this lifestyle of forgiveness that I am going to move on and trust that it was not malicious. And if I have a concern that it was, then I will choose to confront. We will hurt people. And we'll have to say, I'm sorry. And others will hurt us, and we'll have to confront that at times and then dispense of forgiveness when appropriate. Friends, there are paper cuts, and then there are knife wounds. And uh, I'm going I'm to tell you something, and I, of course, talked to my family and my parents, and I, I don't know... I just feel like the Lord wants me to tell you something. And uh, I don't really want to. I don't want to. But I'm going to because I'm so convinced about Jesus' message of forgiveness. And I want you to be free. When I was a, a child, I was molested. And uh, I had an uncle pray on me. And... Um, take advantage of me and then I was riddled with guilt and shame and hiding for a long time and then in uh, sixth grade I saw a, a program at school public school and they said it's okay to tell a safe adult if you've been hurt if you've been abused and it's okay to tell your parents and for whatever reason, that clicked with me, and I decided to do so. And I went home one day after school, 
and my mom got home from work. I'll, I'll never forget exactly where I was in our house, exactly where I was in my bedroom, exactly what time it was when I decided to stop holding all that into myself for all those years and, and tell her what had happened with this uncle on her side of the family. And, um, and my parents were amazing. My parents were amazing. They trusted me and they interrogated and my dad sought to prosecute, you know, but it was beyond the statute of limitations. And they never, ever allowed me to feel shame. They never allowed me to feel shame. And uh, over time, I was able to begin to move beyond that. And still, probably for another 10 years, I, I thought about that every day. Every day. Uh, I became a Christian at about age 20. And then around age 25, I read one of the most amazing books. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. And it's just chock full of stories of forgiveness and grace that are incredible. And for whatever reason, that book really connected with my heart and where I was at that point in time in my life. And um, I wrote the author, and I told him my story, and I asked him if he had any recommendation, and processed through it with my family. And they didn't want me to do this, but I decided that I needed to physically, in time, stop drinking the poison. Stop drinking the poison. And so I wrote him a letter to express my forgiveness of him and um, tell him what I experienced in Jesus, that I have done many things wrong. I've had many sins of all different kinds. And amazingly, God came for me in Christ and he offered his perfection to overcome my imperfection in order to bring me to God. He gave me the gospel. And so I told this uncle the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, I don't know where you are spiritually, but I'd want you to know that Jesus came for you as well. And Jesus would want this for you as well. And, uh, and I would want you to know that I've moved on. And I forgive you. And I pray that one day you could receive the forgiveness of Christ and move on and not be defined by this either. Well, I never heard back from that uncle. And uh, he died a number of years later. And so um, I was never able to effectively reconcile with him. But I stopped drinking the poison. And my life changed from that moment when I chose a decision in time to forgive and not be defined by that anymore. And I just tell you that because I believe forgiveness is our choice to make. And for each of us, at some point in time, we have to make that choice, and it takes time for all of us. I know that. But it can be done, and we can live this lifestyle of forgiveness, or we can be enslaved to bitterness. Again, in, in my situation, I never got an opportunity to reconcile well with this person. And in order to reconcile, he would have had to come and apologize and to name specifically well what he did and apologize. And I want to say this, even if he did, let's clarify that reconciliation does not end all hostility. It ends some hostility, and it does not completely restore trust. I wouldn't have had restored trust with that person. But I would have been able to bury the hatchet and say, I forgive you, please move on. 
And what forgiveness does is it ends this cycle of rehearse and replay that happens to some of us seemingly every time that we encounter certain family members or old friends in which yesterday's failures are ruining our todays. Forgiveness can interrupt that. I love the way Pastor Rick Warren said it out of Saddleback Church in California. He says, are you allowing people who have, forgive, who have hurt you in the past to continue to hurt you now? Every time we rehearse and replay in our mind what happened, you allow them to hurt you again. That's dumb. Resentment is self-destructive because it always hurts you most and prolongs your pain. That's what resentment does. It hurts us the most, and it prolongs our pain. Now, I know there are people here probably thinking, well, Adrian, there's no way that I can forgive and forget. I just can't do that. Good. You don't need to. You don't need to forget. God doesn't call you to do that. We're not able to forget, I don't believe. Some things are so painful that we go through that we couldn't forget even if we tried. But we can forgive. God, amazingly, he chose to forget our sins. Do you realize that? Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8 says he forgives our sins and he remembers them no more. God chooses not only to forgive, but also to forget our sins. We can forgive and slowly over time, some of the pain is lessened as we experience the Lord's ministry to our lives, as we experience the Lord's comforting to our lives. The pain may not go away completely. We may not be able to forget, but it does lose its sting. I can attest to that. I shared a couple examples. I could share others, but that's enough uh, for one day, I think. This is what we must do. We must name the pain, forgive the pain, and receive freedom as we keep moving in spite of ongoing pain. This is what we got to do. You got to name it for, for what it is and all of its ugliness what specifically happened, how ugly it was, call a spade a spade. Don't lessen it, don't say no big deal, call a spade a spade. Then, at time, when it's the right time, you forgive it. Physically, verbally, in writing, it helps to move on. And then you begin to move on and you experience a lessening of that pain over the course of time as you receive the Lord's help in his ministry to you. Uh, friends, is, isn't this the kind of legacy that we want in our families? Tell me, do we want a legacy of unforgiveness or forgiveness in our families? In our churches, do we want a legacy of forgiveness or unforgiveness? This is what we long for. And so we return again and again and again to the gospel of Christ who would help us to do what is impossible for us to do on our own. And he will strengthen us. Forgive us our sins, Lord, as we seek to forgive others their sins, Lord. Would you please help me, Lord, to forgive as I have been forgiven? Would you please give me strength, Lord, to forgive as I have been forgiven? That is a dangerous, powerful, beautiful prayer that glorifies God. Last week we talked about this knot where you go into the world and from the world you go back into Christ. 
It's the same thing with our big and our little sins. We go out into the world and we experience little sins, these little paper cuts, cuts and then you got to bring those paper cuts back into the cross and ask for Jesus' help to you. And then as you're dwelling with God, God, make me aware of your presence. God, be with me today. God, slow me down that I could be with you today. God, minister to me today. As we're in the presence of Christ, in the presence of the gospel with his cross, then we go back out into the world and we might really get hurt. We might get hit again by some big or by some small sin. And then you bring it back to the cross and Jesus will meet you there again. He's an ongoing, loving God. He doesn't just save us for eternity. He saves us for time here and now. He gives us courage and strength to deal with the things that we would confront today. I pray that you know that he is a living and active God who loves you and is able to help you wherever you are right now. So here's what we're going to do as we wrap up. I'm going to ask if you would uh, pray the Lord's Prayer with me. And perhaps you would mean it with me. Each and every line. We pray it out of routine. But I'm going to ask that you pray it and you mean it. And then in a moment, we're going to utilize these sticky notes. And I'm going to invite you to write down your pain. If you'd like. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But... Uh, both in the venue and in the auditorium. We'll stay seated, but let, let's read this out loud together. Would you join me? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Okay. Well, on the screen, you're going to see three questions that perhaps can stimulate your thinking. And they're basically just a reiteration of what I just said, that if you want to move away from drinking the poison anymore, you've got to name the pain. You've got to forgive the pain. And then you've got to ask God's help to move forward in spite of some ongoing pain. And forgiveness leads to freedom. Forgiveness leads to freedom. So maybe there's some pain that you need to write down this morning on this post-it note. Um, maybe a decision to forgive that you need to write down that you haven't forgiven. Or maybe you already have forgiven, but it's just stuck to you still, which happens to us at times. It just sticks to us. You just need to say, Jesus, I, I want your help to move forward in freedom. Help me to receive your freedom again, Jesus. And then if you'd be so bold, if you're willing to take however your response is, it might be any of those questions, it may be something different. And after you write that down, we're just going to leave the altar open and we're going to invite you just to come forward and stick it up here on the altar and leave it for God to come take, okay? Because he loves you and he will. He cares about you now.
And if you'd like someone to pray with, we'll have a few prayer partners available up front. If not, that's fine too. But I'm going to invite you to stand as you wish and come forward. We're going to have some instrumental music and then some quiet. And any time during the worship set, you can come forward and leave that up here. Give it to the God who is able to heal.